Sometimes thinking about the goodness of God can be a little bit overwhelming, can't it? That's a good thing. And I pray that each day this week you'll seek to be overwhelmed by His goodness as you stop and spend time allowing Him to remind you of it. I ask you to take your Bible and turn with me to the book of Jonah. The book of Jonah, chapter 1, verse 1. If you're using that pew Bible in front of you, it's on page 1067. 1067. Now, as you're turning there, God reminded me of of something as I was worshiping with you right down there just a second ago. I was praying, as I do right before I come up here, and he he said, Jeff, just remember, you don't have anything for him. Church, I've got nothing. I've got nothing for you. But what God went on to remind me is, he said, but I got something for him. And what God reminded me of, too, is not just me, not just you that he's got something for. He's got something for me. I love it when I get to be used to be this voice to hear, but then God is also working on my heart simultaneously at the same time. That's pretty awesome. Harvard psychologist William James said this, The greatest discovery of my generation is that a human being can alter his life by altering his attitudes in his mind. Now, I spent time this week studying and researching attitudes. Let me first first start by defining attitude. Attitude, it's got a number of different definitions when you think about the word attitude. Attitude. A position assumed for a specific purpose, like I'm going to walk in with a threatening attitude. Attitude, a mental position with regard to a fact or a state. Attitude, a feeling or emotion toward a fact or a state. Attitude, a bodily state of readiness to respond in a characteristic way to a stimulus. Attitude, a negative or hostile state of mind. Attitude, right? You get, we get that one, right? Attitude, the arrangement of the parts of a body or a posture that we take. Your attitude, I read, and I believe is one of the few things in life in which you have total control. You determine your attitude. It is a disciplined skill, determining your attitude, that must be practiced and learned. Attitude is the way you look at life. It is the way you choose to see and respond to events, situations, people, and yourself. You see, your attitude does not happen to you. You choose your attitude. You decide how to perceive and process the events of life. Now, an attitude can be either positive or negative. Either way, positive or negative attitudes can be habit-forming. Both positive and negative attitudes have an impact on you, but each 
also have an impact on the people around you. A change in outlook can lead to a change in outcome. Let me use the word attitude. A change in attitude can lead to a change in outcome. So I ask you to stand with me as that backdrop, and we're going to begin reading in the book of Jonah, chapter 1. And today we're going to read the first three verses of Jonah, chapter 1. It says, Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry out against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah arose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. Thank you. You may be seated. Keep your scripture open. Verse 1 says the word now. This word now is a unique way to begin a book. The word now reminds us that God's word is a continual story. You know how the word now means? You can sense when you use the word now that something had just happened before. There was a period or a change of a paragraph or a change of a location or a change of date or year. But now God continues this story. God's word is one continual revelation. In some translations and in the original language, the word now is the word and. Now across 66 books, across an Old Testament and a New Testament, across over 40 authors and over 2,000 years, it remains, God's Word does, remains one story. And that story, church, is the gospel from beginning unto end. Now today we start a new series through the book of Jonah. We're picking up God's story. Notice how we're having a story time and children's church is having a story time. But we're picking up God's revealed story to us at a different time. But you will never hear God's Word refer to a different gospel, a different agenda, a different purpose, a different direction for us as His people. Now Jonah may seem familiar to you. Others, it might be brand new to you. But God has something specific for each one of us as we walk through this book of the Bible, this part of God's story. Now, here's where I want to give you a warning or an encouragement. If it's brand new to you, I'm excited about that. I encourage you to read this four-chapter book every week that we are in this sermon series. If you're going, I know this story, here's where I want to warn you. God can reveal Himself to you further as we stay in His Word. And I want to encourage you that even though you might believe that you know this story, I want to encourage you to read the book of Jonah every week between now and the end of this sermon series. Verse 1 goes on to say, The Word of the Lord. This is why I want you to read it each 
week and spend time in God's Word each day. You see, the Word of the Lord, the Lord is still revealing Himself. The Lord is still leading us to His will that He has for us in how we live and serve Him. So let's move into this book just a little bit deeper. The Word of the Lord came to Jonah. Do you know there is very little known about Jonah? The only other mention of Jonah in Scripture is found in 2 Kings chapter 14, verse 25. Now, I've got that written down here, but if you're a note taker, you might want to write that down because I think it's an important reference that helps us set the context of where we're going and what we're doing. 2 Kings chapter 14, verse 25 says, He restored the territory of Israel from the entrance of Hamath to the sea of the Arabah, according to the word of the Lord God of Israel, which he had spoken through his servant Jonah, the son of Amittai, the prophet who was from gath Hefer. Now, we learn quite a bit, but let's just break out the pronouns here. He restored, that would be Jeroboam II, who was the king over that period of time. He's the king of Israel. He was the king of Israel for about 41 years, Scripture teaches us, if you go back and read it. And he was king of Israel in a time when Israel was actually split into the northern and southern kingdoms, or between what some call Israel and others call Judah. He, Jeroboam II, the king of Israel, this happens around 780 B.C. And through Jonah, this king is told to encourage to expand the borders of Israel to where they were originally. Which means that Israel had taken some defeats, and God, it says here, spoke to Jonah the prophet and told him to go to King Jeroboam II and go and take back some of those territories that they had lost to reestablish some of their prior borders. This validated a few things to me when I read about Jonah. One is, Jonah is not some stranger that we've never heard of that just pops up one time in Scripture. Jonah was a prophet of God. Jonah was a prophet who served in an area God called him, a king that he positioned him to, and that Jonah had heard the word of God at a time prior to the book of Jonah and had obeyed it and had seen God bring great blessing. Now, Jonah was probably well thought of in Israel because of his faithfulness in being that way before God. So we're, when we read in verse 1, now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, one of the things I would want you to, do, to do is recognize that now the word of the Lord came again to the prophet Jonah. It's important to understand that Jonah has heard from God before. Verse 2 tells us that God tells Jonah in this message to him, he tells him to get up, go to Nineveh, and cry out against it. God's word was clear to Jonah what he was to do. Now, it's an interesting thing, and I, I did a little bit of reading, and this is more of an interest topic, not a direction of the sermon. 
But typically, prophets were called to serve and speak to people in their home country. Some would consider, based upon this call, that Jonah could have been the first foreign missionary that the IMB may have sent out a long time ago. You see, God has called Jonah now not to work with King Jeroboam II, but to leave Israel and to go to Assyria, Nineveh to be specific, for a specific purpose that God has for him. It's estimated that Nineveh is about 500 miles northeast of Gath-Hefer. So let's just go ahead and recognize that I'm going to point this way, and some of you are going to say, well, that's north because it probably is. But let's just let the stage be our compass for just a minute, okay? And in my world, when I'm looking at the map of Israel, this is east. And Nineveh would be 500 miles northeast that direction. Now, Nineveh, that 500 miles away, would take about a month's walk for a man to be able to go a certain distance each day for a period of time. It's estimated it could take about a month to do that. Nineveh was considered both in Scripture and in history as a great city. It would soon become the capital of the Assyrian Empire. Nineveh was thought to be, in some estimates, about eight miles in circumference and have a population of about 130,000 people. And you're going, eight miles, that's not really a big city now. Well, it was then. But think about that eight-mile circumference city and putting 130,000 people in it. It is a densely populated city. But God is not sending Jonah to Nineveh because it's a great city either because of its position or its stature or its size in population. Verse 2 tells us why God is sending Jonah. He says, for their wickedness has come up before me. Assyria was known for many things, historically speaking, their brutality, their wickedness, and therefore their sin. And God desires to send Jonah to speak against their sin. says that their sin has come up before God. Church, this is a really important point, I believe, or it is to me anyway. God desires Jonah to go to Nineveh, this great city with a large population whose wickedness has made it into the presence of God. And he's sending Jonah because he desires for these people with a great sin problem to change their ways. See, we will find out in the, the time ahead as we move into the book of Jonah more that God is hoping that they will hear the message of God and change. And so he's sending his prophet to challenge them in the hopes that they would turn to him. Isn't that amazing? God knows that these people are wicked beyond, I mean, they're greatly wicked. And God says, I'm going to send my man to go tell them the truth so that they will turn to me. God has a purpose. Isn't that great? It would have been real easy for God to just stamp them out. 
wipe them out, judge them. They were guilty. And that's a beautiful, beautiful thing that God is sending His man, His prophet, with this message that God is sending. He's sending him to Nineveh so that they can have an opportunity to turn from their ways. And you're going, okay, what's the point? Did you guys know I used to live in Nineveh? Somebody just popped their head up. Well, you lived in Nineveh? Metaphorically? Yeah. My sin was great before the Lord. And you know what he did? He had two choices. I can stamp him out and be done with that. Or I can send my man with my message to hear them. I don't know that I remember you, but I believe that you probably lived in Nineveh once before as well. Amen? Church, we have to recognize that God is talking to His prophet, His man, and telling His man what to do to send His man to a place that needs to hear the gospel. Aren't you glad that God sent somebody to share the gospel with you? We need to recognize that. You know, you read and you hear about this revival that's going on in certain places, in certain ways, it's making the news. Do you know what will bring true revival? And I'm not saying that that is true or false. I'm just saying, you know what will bring true revival? When we begin to understand that we serve a great God who loves us, that we are sinful in need of a Savior, that He sent a Savior called the gospel to us, and that we could be made right with Him. Do you know that when we come to recognize that every single day of our lives, that's revival. Church, we need revival. We need to recognize that I once lived in Nineveh, but God sent somebody to share with me the gospel. And now I live forever with Him. Here's a question that you'll probably hear each week, the same questions you'll hear each week. But I'm going to ask it to you for the very first time right now. Does your heart match the heart of God as it relates to the salvation of all people? I'm going to ask that again because some of you might be trying to scribble that down. You're going to hear it week after week because to me, this is a central question that I'm going to be asking, that I hear the Lord asking me through His Word that I believe He wants to challenge you with. Here it is. Does your heart match the heart of God as it relates to the salvation of all peoples? You see, this Scripture would lead us to believe that God cares about the people in Nineveh and wants them to hear the truth. Do you desire for all people to hear the gospel, to have the opportunity to come to know Christ? Now, at this point in the story, it would be real easy. It's hard because we've read it. You guys are already, I guarantee you, half the room's already in the belly of a great big fish. I need you to get out of that fish. We're not there yet. 
you know, there's a good chance that we may not see that great fish for a little while, and I don't want you to miss what God has for you between now and that moment. So I need you to get out of the fish. I need you to get off the hill of chapter 4. I need you to get out from under the shade of that great plant. I need you not to try to figure out the sermon that he says in chapter 3 and 4. I need you to stay right here. Church, let's just promise ourselves that we will allow God to reveal this book to us, His revelation to us, His story to us in a brand new way at the pace that He wants to reveal it to us and that we won't run ahead. Because here's what happens. If you run ahead, you'll miss what God has for you now. Church, you don't want to miss what God has for you now. So it's at this point in the story that if we didn't know anything, we would go, well, the prophet of God who had seen God work, who had heard God before, who had been faithfully serving God, that he would just pack his bags and start heading to Nineveh. Well, we've already sort of read that that's not the way it happens, right? Verse 3 says, but, you know, most good stories don't get better when the word but comes. It usually is a change in direction, and it is here too, both, I guess, grammatically, literally. There's a bunch of other English words I could use here, but I don't know any of them. But verse 3 says, But Jonah arose to flee to Tarshish. And if you read too quickly, you could read that is, Jonah did what God said. No, he didn't. He didn't get up and go to Nineveh. He went up and went to Tarshish, to flee to Tarshish. You know, it's hard to flee in anything but a negative manner. Fleeing doesn't really have a positive connotation to it. Nineveh, I said, is 500 miles northeast. We're going to make it that direction for a little bit. Jonah heads to a place called Tarshish that some say, even if some think it's near Gibraltar, close to Spain. Others think it's in Carthage in North Africa. Either way, when you measure it out, it's over 2,000 miles from gath Hefer. And it's not that way where you'll pass Nineveh along the way. It's that way. I almost got in trouble there. I almost like stuck my hand out of my, out of my sling and pointed that way. But instead of going 500 miles that way, he decides to go over 2,000 miles that way. Church, that's not going to lead you to Nineveh, at least not the short path. Scripture tells us twice in verse 3 that Tarshish was not Jonah's desired destination. And you're going, well, yeah, it says he was heading toward Tarshish. No, what it says twice in verse 3 is that Jonah headed to Tarshish to flee the presence of the Lord. Two times. Jonah doesn't really care where he's going. He just knows he's not going to Nineveh. And he wants to go as far away from God as he possibly can. And he goes this way. Jonah, it says, finds a ship in Joppa. Now, Joppa would be modern-day Tel Aviv. Some say it's about 35 to 60 miles away from gath Hefer. 
And so he goes west to Joppa, and he pays the fare and goes down into the boat. Here's how I imagine it probably went. You guys have done this when you've gone on your travel websites and things like that. You walk up to the gate in Joppa. You got your hand in your pocket. You know how much money you've got. You walk up to the man at the ticket window and you say, how far and when does it leave for me to go that way? I just want to get away. How much? Where's your farthest destination that I can afford? Because it's an interesting thing. Recognize this, that Jonah should go that way, and God would probably provide everything he needed to go that way. But he decides to go this way from the presence of the Lord, and he gets there, and he says, I'm just trying to... I don't see any destination called from the presence of the Lord. But that one is sure far away. I think I'll take it. Why? Because I can afford it. And he reaches into his pocket, and who knows how much he spends. He has enough to do it. Now, I don't know. That might speak to somebody. It did to me. Because in a minute, we're going to talk about a point where that might be important to you. Jonah believes, likely, that he is able to just go, no, thank you, God. I'm going to go this way. Let me ask you this question. Where do you go when you don't want to go where God tells you to go. Did you guys get that? Where do you go? You see, there's only two choices Jonah had. He goes to Nineveh, which is what God said, or he goes any place else. And I've sort of named that place. It's called disobedience. You either do what God says or you are disobedient. Where do you go? Now, I've known people that go, well, I, I just closed my Bible. When I don't want to follow the presence of the Lord, I close my Bible. That'll do it. I stop going to church. I don't need to hear any of that. I go away from anything that would be pro-God in my life. I don't know where you go. Maybe it's a place you go to. Maybe it's a thought you go to. Maybe it's a memory you go to. Maybe it's an addiction you go to or a struggle that you go to. I don't know. But I can tell you that when you don't go to Nineveh, if you don't go to where God calls you, you're going to a place called disobedience. I've read about disobedience. You're not going to like it there. Now, as you're likely aware, because as much as I try to keep you in verses 1 through 3 of Jonah chapter 1, you know, that things are not get, you, you know that things are getting ready to turn negative in Jonah's life. Even if you go, I know nothing past verse 3 of Jonah chapter 1, it just seems logical to, the, to a reasonable person that doing the opposite of what God says makes no sense. Now, we're going to cover that beginning next week, that being the negative things that happened in Jonah's life. But today, before we exit 
I want to just make four simple points about Jonah's attitude being wrong, being bad, being negative, being incorrect. You see, Jonah's going to get into all of the trouble that he's going to get into because he has a bad attitude. So let's just write these attitudes down. He had a wrong attitude toward the will of God. See, we know, and Jonah knows, what the will of God is. We learn more as we float through the book of Jonah that Jonah knows exactly what he's going to Nineveh for. But he believes, and he has a bad attitude toward the will of God. You see, obeying the will of God is as important to, a God, to God's servant, Jonah, as it is to the people that God is sending this servant to. Did we mention that a bad attitude not only impacts you, but it impacts those around you? It's in obeying the will of God that we find our spiritual nourishment. And you're going, how do you know that? Well, in John 4, 34, Jesus said, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. John 7, 17 tells us that it, it is in obeying the will of God that we will know and be enlightened by the will of God. It says, if anyone wills to do his will, he shall know whether it was from God. And Hebrews 13, 21 says, to make you complete in every good work, to do his will, working in you what is well-pleasing in his sight, which means that in obeying the will of God, we find God's enabling power working in and through our lives. Jonah's bad attitude toward God stemmed from a feeling that the Lord was asking him to do something that he did not necessarily want to do. God was commanding him to go to Israel's enemy and give them an opportunity to repent. That's the only reason to share the gospel, to give people who are an enemy of God a chance to repent. Now, these Assyrians, they were a cruel people who had often in days past and would often in days future abuse Israel. And Jonah would much rather see Nineveh destroyed. He admits that later in the book. We'll get there. But Jonah treats the will of God as if it's something that he can take or leave. That's a dangerous thing. You see, God called Jonah to Nineveh because he loved Jonah. You know, God never calls you to do something out of anger or frustration. He calls you to do his will because he loves you. But not only did God love Jonah through this, God loved the people of Nineveh. So he had a wrong attitude toward the will of God. Now, there's a whole lot of things I could say right here, but I'm, I'm seeking to trust the Holy Spirit to lead you there because I think you know that Running this way when God tells you to go this way is not wise. And that God's likely not going to settle 
for letting you or Jonah run that way. Number two, Jonah had a wrong attitude toward the Word of God. He had told him exactly what to do, and Jonah chose not to do it. Now, it's an interesting thing. In Luke chapter 6, verse 46, Jesus said this to the people. He said, but why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do the things that I say? Church, let me ask you this. Do you ever know what God's Word is telling you to do in a specific situation, and then you choose to do the opposite? You know, most meetings I'm in or most conversations I'm in, you ever heard the statement, silence is acceptance? All right. Well, I just ask you a question. And the place was like crickets. Because we all understand that we have likely understood clearly the Word of God, what we were supposed to do in response to it, but yet we have chosen to do the different, to do the opposite. Number three, he had a wrong attitude toward his circumstances. Now, I'm reading into and applying it into my life. Perhaps it's something that you can see in your life as well. But it says that he fled to Joppa, found an available ticket. We know it was an available ticket because they sold it to him. On a boat going far away, had enough money to pay for it. He got on the boat. And Scripture says that he settled in. He went down into the boat and settled in. We get that far just by staying in the Scripture today. Jonah likely sat down in that boat right before he fell asleep and goes, well, this is pretty easy. I got here easy, found a CD, found a ticket easy, had enough money to pay for it easy. Got on the boat easy, got me a good comfortable place easy. It must be okay. Jonah had a bad attitude toward his circumstances. You see, church, it is possible to be absolutely and completely out of the will of God and still look at your circumstances as if they're okay. As if things can be working on your behalf. Have you ever said... Well, it must be the right thing. It worked out. Maybe it's what I'm supposed to do because I was able to. Let me tell you, the only effective answer when God tells us to go and do is to go and do. When we don't go and to go and do, it is never going to be the right thing, no matter how well you might think It's working out. I'm sure if we had a chance to sit down one-on-one with each other, we could find a time in your life or one in mine where I thought I had it all figured out. I knew I was walking in the wrong direction of God, and I had it all figured out, covered my tracks, thought it all the way through, had a purpose and a plan, and then all of a sudden, everything changed. You see, Jonah thinks that you can just walk away from the will of God, disobey the Word of God, and then judge based upon how everything might be looking to you at that moment. It is never okay to dismiss God's call. 
I've talked with people, and they say something like this. If God wanted me to do something, he would have made me. Or if things go well, it must be okay. That is a thinking of many people today, not just in the world, but in the church. See, we're talking about a man who was a prophet of God. Now, God, in his providence, even though Jonah's circumstances seem to be working out for him, is preparing Jonah for a great fall. And when you read the book of Jonah this week in its entirety, you'll get to hear a little bit about that. Jonah had a wrong attitude about the will of God, a wrong attitude about the word of God, a wrong attitude about his own circumstances. And then fourth, he had a wrong attitude about the people who lived in Nineveh. You see, by his very actions of going that way when God told him to go this way. He wanted the people in Nineveh to be destroyed and judged by God. He didn't like them. He wanted them to fall into the hands of an angry God, to abandon them to their darkness and their spiritual death. Get, spiritual death. He not only hated their sins, but he hated the sinners who committed them. Jonah thought it would be better for Nineveh to be destroyed. Now, here's why I want to ask you a question the second time I've asked you this question. Maybe the second time you want to write it down. Does your heart match the heart of God as it relates to the salvation of all people? Or do you desire that some people not hear the gospel? They don't deserve it. They're not worthy. You know what I call those people? Those people have forgotten where they came from. Right? Did I tell you I used to live in Nineveh? Wouldn't it be awful if all of a sudden I grow up in Nineveh, I come to find the Lord after I move away, and then I never return back because those people in Nineveh, I just seen them judge. I just soon see them judged. You forget who we are. We need to recognize that apart from the gospel, apart from God's mercy and grace and love for you, apart from Jesus dying on the cross, being resurrected on the third day and at the Father's right hand, apart from you coming to Him by faith, you are in Nineveh. Now, I told you I was going to mention four bad attitudes that he had, and I mentioned those. Bad attitude about the will of God. Bad attitude about the word of God. Bad attitude about the circumstances he was currently seeing in his life. And a bad attitude about the people that God was sending him to. I don't have a fifth bad attitude to share with you. But I do have one more point that I want to make. If you're a note taker, you're getting ready to want to make some notes. I'm getting ready to give you some scriptures. But we are told twice in verse 3 that Jonah's destination was to be from the presence of the Lord. 
Now, I sit here today, and you're probably sitting here today, and we're going, why would Jonah want to be away from the presence of the Lord? Why would anybody want to be away from the presence of the Lord? So I, I did a little bit of a scripture search, a little bit of a word study, if you want to, about the benefits one gets from being in the presence of the Lord. So if you want to write these things down, you can, or you can text me later, and I won't remember them, but I'll make a note and send them to you tomorrow. But let me just remind you, and I'm going to go through them quick, so don't worry about writing them down unless you're just... But 2 Corinthians 3.17 says, In the presence of the Lord there is liberty. Now, you know what that says? Away from the presence of the Lord, there is bondage. When given liberty or bondage, duh, right? Proverbs 8.30, In the presence of the Lord, we are His daily delight. That means outside of the presence of the Lord, you are not God's daily delight. Have you ever been somebody's delight? It's a good place to be. Acts 3.19, in the presence of the Lord are times of refreshing. I don't know about you. Sometimes I just need refreshing. Now I'll tell you this, because of all of this, I've come up with a new definition of refreshing. It's called a shower. I get in the shower every time Angela lets me because it's an ordeal. But every time I step in that shower with my little protective thingy around my hand and, and all of these things, and you get under, you go, oh my goodness, that's so we miss refreshing when we're outside the presence of the Lord. James 4.10, in the presence of the Lord, He will lift us up. I don't know how much encouragement you need right now, but I can tell you, you will not find it running from God. You will only find it in the presence of the Lord. God's about to overwhelm me. Luke 1.19, in the presence of the Lord is good news. 2 Thessalonians 1.9, in the presence of the Lord is life eternal. Psalm 17.2, in the presence of the Lord is conviction of sin. And you're going, Jeff, that don't seem good. Well, let me tell you how great that is. The moment... You stop being convicted of your sin is the moment the Lord says, I don't love you. Scripture says, the Lord chastens his children. In the presence of the Lord is conviction, correction, rightness. He will not leave you wayward. Psalm 96.9, in the presence of the Lord is joy and thanksgiving. 
2 Corinthians 5.8, in the presence of the Lord is courage. Psalm 16.2, in the presence of the Lord is the source of our good. Anything you are able to do that would be considered good in your life comes because of the presence of the Lord. Ephesians 3.12, in the presence of the Lord we find boldness and confidence. Remember I said I didn't know what you're facing? Well, can I tell you that if you're in the presence of the Lord, He'll give you boldness and confidence to walk toward it. Psalm 73, 28, in the presence of the Lord we find refuge. Not only is that the name of our youth ministry, before it was the name of our youth ministry, it was a promise that God gave us that we could turn to Him and always be taken care of. Ephesians 2.18, in the presence of the Lord, we have access to the Father. Last one, Psalm 16.11, in the presence of the Lord is life, joy, and pleasures forevermore. Now, I'll tell you this. I don't know how it's going to turn out for Jonah because I've limited myself to verses 1 through 3. I just have a feeling that it's not going to be pleasures forevermore over there when God has told you to go over here. Next week, we will continue in the book of Jonah. We'll pick up right here in verse 4, starting, and we will find that God is not done with Jonah. Now, don't, list, don't miss this point while you're getting ready to go. Hang on with me just a second. You may find today that you have a bad attitude toward the Word of God, toward the will of God, toward your circumstances, toward somebody else. You may find that your attitude, that your heart is not matching God's heart as it relates to them coming to know Jesus. I want to share with you that while we will look forward to see how God works in Jonah's life, you don't have to wait till next week to allow God to work in your life right now. You see, I mentioned that your attitude is your choice. You running from God is your choice. And since it's your choice, you can stop. You can stop right now. Whatever issue, whatever challenge, whatever struggle, whatever forgiveness, whatever people group, whatever challenge that's caused you to maybe go that way when you should go this way, God says, just stop right now and come back. And you know how far you're going to have to come back? It's an interesting thing. We know that if I leave here and walk these 10 feet to over here, clearly staying away from the edge for everybody to feel good, we know that in order for me to get back where I belong, I'm going to have to travel those same 10 feet backwards. Can I tell you that's not 
the way it is with Jesus. Jesus said, you've wandered 10 feet away from where you belong. But I promised you I would never leave you nor forsake you. All you have to do is turn. Right there I am. Right here I am. Church, that's called repentance. And if you will turn, I don't care what you've paid, where you're heading, what you're running from, what you'll find when you get back. Being in the presence of the Lord and doing what the Lord says is the best thing ever. And so today, you don't have to wait till next week to figure out how to start finding your way back to God. See, we live on this side of the cross. And Jesus is ready for you right now. Amen.